are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that takes an absolutely worrying amount of showers. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me is... Chris. And Matt. The and today we're talking about... <laughs> <laughs> it's still bad for your skin to shower that frequently. It's also terrible for his hair. It's looking real bad. <sighs> he never had good hair anyway. I knew who it was just based on the shoulder bullet wound. Oh yeah, oh, the yeah. voice as well. Well, also we we also said that he was going to come back on the show, and as soon as the setup has, I was like, oh yeah, no, it was because uh, we said, oh, what's the deal with Roberto? He disappeared, and uh, Sybil's like, yep, we'll see him again, and I was like, this is him. Oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, I'm preemptively not a fan of this because it goes on too long for what it is. The first mm. episode. No, this whole thing. Got it. Anyhow, today we are talking about Monster episodes 68 through 71. Content warnings for today's batch include Chris Taylor, animal abuse, child abuse, alcohol abuse, alarming sexual content, suicidal ideation, and oh so much gun violence. And all of those things are of equal quality of badness. That's right. (laughs) Yes, it's true. So we kick off with episode 68, Ruinheim. There is a spectacularly brief cold open. A man drops his luggage and raises a postcard. We see it as a shot of a withered tree, and it matches the view before him. The man is Lunge, and he simply says, Ruinheim. So this is it. This is what you get for naming your town literally Ruinheim. So they actually translate the name a little later, and it's something like a peaceful home. A restful yeah. home is what the anime keeps Restful, says. yeah. Don't ruin my joke. Don't ruin my heim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 it's still going to be the best out on this podcast today. <laughs> Uh, probably we're gonna be in too sad stuff to start making jokes by the end matt gets to take all the long ones because he wasn't here last time a woman in makeup has a dog who keeps barking at something an elderly man is helping a boy with his bike which is constantly broken because the chain slips off when he changes gears the young boy is named vim which is uh relevant and he gets the best line in the localization apparently uh this bike was something he's trying to fix up for from a scrap heap, and all the other children just come and say, looking, oh, look, it's trash, riding trash. But before the older man can help him take a look, someone's standing outside his business. Yeah, this gentleman is the Hotel Verstex owner, and Lungay reserved his room uh, before coming here. And uh, this little town, uh, Runeheim, is always quiet, and uh, uh is like, oh, well, it's also the off-season, but then uh, the the owner's like, yeah, but it's also always slow here. It's just a slow town. This is where the children at play come from. <laughs> All right. Uh, the only other guests at the hotel are this elderly couple, one of whom is the uh, the man is in a wheelchair and is in supposedly rough health. Uh, Vim helps Lunge get his bag and take it up to his room, and before the boy leaves, Lunge casually offers the suggestion, uh, I don't think it looks like trash. It seems like a superb bike to me. 
And this cheers the uh, the lad up a little bit. Lungu's next stop is the local police station. Uh, he asked uh, the man there how many men they have on hand and how fast can they get back up in a crisis because something bad's coming. And uh, he is absolutely right, and we will get to that. But the officer on hand says that uh, they can have reinforcements in an hour, but he's befuddled by the whole line of questioning because this is a small town, like nothing really happens here. It's, they say earlier that there's never been a murder here, which seems um, unlikely given the history of humans. But, you know, given the history whatever. of this town, too, maybe. Yeah, the history of this town. Uh, somebody has probably been murdered. Probably not in recent memory, though, for a while. Or I don't know, Nazi Germany. Yeah, that was probably the one. But yeah, uh, Lunge says uh you should be checking on everyone who comes into this town in the next few days. That isn't a local uh, Vim. Then we see Vim riding around town and his bike slips a gear again and uh, he crashes and adding insult to injury. Uh, these three boys uh, who are the bullies come up and beat him up and then also stomp on his bike to make it even worse. Uh, however, a familiar spile helps the boy up from the ground and it is Mr. Grimmer. Man, that is a liberal. Did you hear that? He said, oh, just to make it worse. Oh, no, there's property damage. It's insult to injury. <laughs> That's what insult to injury means. It's literally in the text. <laughs> That's what you say. I'll lift your hurt, pussy. <laughs> the next scene is every happy person in the village dunking on Lungay unintentionally. He's just chilling in the cafe at the hotel. The old couple try chatting him up. The proprietor's getting involved in time. Grandchildren are so wonderful. There's talk about traveling together being such a pleasant time, going through the countryside, all the works. The owner suggests, hey, you should write home to your grandchild, too. And all Lungay can say to this is, I really don't know what I'd write. It's too bad I can't draw well. And later on, this will make sense as, oh, like that postcard he got, but for now it's, oh, who the fuck knows? It is so fucking funny for Lungay to be, hear Lungay's voice talking about normal person shit. It's like that Caius <laughs> thirteen two scene all over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before anyone can dwell on this, though, Grimmer enters the hotel asking if there is a room available. Lungay takes this moment to slip out the side door. We cut back to earlier in the day, Grimmer is disembarking from a train, commenting on how he's the only one getting off, and just goes, no one gets off at this stop, huh? On account of it being the last stop when we see a map later. A sound in, he hears a sound in the distance and wonders if it's gunfire, and in town, the uh, Pennick family hears it as well. The husband is sure it's a gunshot, and the wife shrugs it off, saying, if anyone did it, it'd be that drunk, and if he did, we'd know for sure. The thing that gets a little annoying to me, and this is me being the, uh, the I guess, the noise cop on the show, is that everyone seems to have heard this gunshot. There are a bunch of ones that happen that nobody hear. And then when everything pops off, everyone's like gunfires everywhere. There's like a middle ground there where like a few people get shot and nobody has heard anything. And it's kind of odd. A um, few of the middle ones are outside of town, though. That's yeah, yeah. That's true. I guess this 
Well, this first shot, I'm trying to remember where this was. It's not, it's not the dog, uh, but I don't remember who it is that got shot first here. So I don't know. Got shot. So annoying. <laughs> I don't know that we actually know who the first one is. It may actually be the cop's car backfiring. You're right. Yeah, it could be a, a red herring. But then again, we know this show. We know it's going to be something bad. We know two incidents that kick it all off, and one of yep. both of them are next episode. Yep, yep. Uh, so the woman from the opening, whose name is Mrs. Hillman, is running around outside in a panic because she's unable to find her dog. And she shows up at the hotel asking if the proprietor has seen her Ludwig, wondering if the noise earlier was someone shooting her dog. And he's a little skeptical of this. Uh and he tells her, shouldn't you go to the police? And she's like, I've already been there. And that man is useless in this in this and everything else. Grimmer comes out at this point, offering to help look for the dog. And now he's going by Nurmeyer. Uh, yeah. So this isn't going to last very long, but that is his current alias. So at another hotel, the proprietor, the proprietor says that Hotel Verstek, uh, the hotel that they're actually staying at, Keeps stealing the few guests that are coming into town, and he sounds pretty bitter about it. Uh, yeah, and Gr- Grimmer is here asking him about it. We'll have to get we'll have to get strangled by the invisible hand. This other hotel guy asks, "If you ask me, I heard something like a gunshot earlier. Maybe someone put that mutt out of his misery." <laughs> out of our misery is his line. Sorry. Out of our misery, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, he's. The dog seems quite happy, if a little loud. <laughs> so, at this point, Grimmer runs into Loongay, who is also joined in the search around town. Neither man has any answers yet, but we switch POVs and start following the detective at this point. He will run to different parts of town and hear the drunk berating someone loudly in his house. This is Vim's father, Herbert a mean drunk who hucks a bottle into the street moments before hucking his kid out into the street, telling him not to return without more booze. We will learn that Vim works at the hotel, which cannot be much given how rare guests are, and he might be the only one bringing in any money based on his father's claims and state. But the proprietor picks him up and gets him over to the hotel. He's like, well, you can stay with me tonight, Vim. He'll sleep it off. Neither protagonist's search is fruitful. The local policeman actually heckles Lunge as he walks around saying, Finally, we have that catastrophe you've warned about. A missing dog. Fucking got him. Yeah. Uh, the cop claims the gunshot was his car backfiring on the highway earlier. Meanwhile, Grimmer follows up on a lead with the butcher's daughter, who desperately wants some like good dick and to get out of town via that dick. And uh, he heads into the hills to hunt for the dog. He finds Ludwig first, but uh, Unge is only moments behind. Grimmer says, it seems like we've come to the same spot via different clues. And Grimmer asks what Lunge's job is, saying, you have a feel of a cop. And he's right. Meanwhile, Lunge says Grimmer resembles a man that he heard about on his recent trip to Prague. Uh, so they know who each other are. Yep. And uh, Grimmer repeats, uh, it seems like we've come to the same spot again uh via different clues do you think either of us can stop us stop a detective the massacre headed for this town and I, I i like that little twist where it's like you think he's t- 
talking about the dog again, but it, no, it, it's, it's a big oh, yeah. thing. It's, it's a nice touch. It, there's a lot of, again, we have all of our top tier voice actors running through this. So quite a lot of good line deliveries. Like it's also the script too. Like I, I think it's a, it's a good, it's a good setup. Good localizers and especially with the way the fan sub is deteriorating, you could just see what it would look like if you fucked up at any time by clicking the subtitle button. <laughs> so we return to town and we're going to check in on the Hennig family again. The couple are bickering as husband Hennig is headed to work, but his wife Franca merely gapes. Her gambling has paid off. She won the lottery. I can't believe they put that in a on TV anime. Gambling? Gapes. Oh. Outside, the trio of dicks are picking on poor Vim again. They've stolen his bike and left it at the vampire's house outside of town. They knock him on his ass and walk off laughing, where he is nearly run over by Henning Hennick, speeding back from having just bought a cornucopia of guns. Hell yeah. The pair of them... <laughs> the pair of them have become incredibly paranoid. Make sure to keep the chain on the door at all times. Both whip each other into a frenzy, convinced that the whole town knows already, especially since Franca used a neighbor's birthday on his advice to change up your strategy a little if your numbers aren't doing anything. Man, I, I hate these, this couple so much. These scenes are just like, I'm grinding my teeth trying to, watching these people just be complete paranoid idiots uh-huh. drives me crazy uh-huh so i like, just wonder here's here's the thing i'm gonna ask do you think that the winning lottery number was staged no come on so that just happened to be very coincidental that well i guess it's it's not towards the plan that these guns are in play here but i thought it was going to play into it no it's really just the worst best luck it's, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. really just so we can get that incredible shot of Lungay walking towards the hotel under the arch with a rifle. Yeah, yeah, Amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no, that's... There's a lot of potential episode arts uh, from this selection. I kind of want to use this sketch of Tenma from Dieter, but the <laughs> that, rifle no, is another that, yeah. sh- I love that. I love that image. I love that he's just like, who's that? And like, come on. <laughs> They even drew the stubble. <laughs> yeah. It, I'll debate during editing, but yeah. Uh, the rifle is one. The the blah, 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 the sketch is another. Mm-hmm. Rumor Raging Out would be a good one. Uh, there's a couple of faces, like Tenma's murder face, Lungay. Lungay has a lot of real good action movie shots this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lungay is cool in these episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when y'all were going, God, this corny motherfucker, and I was like, "Mm -hmm." Look, he's Mm -hmm. still a corny motherfucker. But now it's charming. Yeah. He's just also an action hero and has also previously been the Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) Previously been? Yeah, that one episode where he's just slow marching at Tenma after being shot in the leg. 
I'm saying what makes you think previously he's going through this town with two guns cleaning it up? Uh, outside of town, Vim continues to the vampire's house, and as he rounds the building, he stumbles right over a dead cat, and he then notices the house's doors open and creeps in curious. While inside, he hears discussion saying, he hasn't been here in weeks, it looks like. All of this is unfinished. Did he stop painting? Maybe he can't paint anymore. And the sound of voices send him hiding between the set of paintings before he's discovered by... Grimmer and Valinge, who are now a buddy cop duo. Uh, Grimmer's trying to reassure the boy, letting him know that he saw his bike hidden in the bushes near the bottom of the hill. Oh, your friends played a prank on you, didn't they? Uh, meanwhile, Lunge is going on about things like, they're already here, and the cat was killed with a submachine gun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What? And uh, Did I miss I mean, that? That's yeah. an actual line, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, it didn't sound, it sounded like a single shot. I don't know what would make the sense of, uh, maybe the, the, I don't know. Fuck it, who knows. Yeah. Uh, and other things that, uh, you know, he, he keeps going on about these things that the child probably shouldn't have overheard. But as the trio head out to leave, the detective looks at the stack of canvases Vim bumped into. And it's sketches. Sketch after sketch after sketch. Of the same pair of twins. No matter how many he drew, it was never enough. Alunge says. I do like how they get consecutively worse. So they like have increasing man face. It it's real interesting how the twins are seen as this force of chaos, but also like drive every artist we meet in this series to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think they also point out the fact that, uh, oh, yeah, this these kids look like the age that would have been 10 years ago, which is when they ran into the twins, you know, back in. Yeah, back when Lungay first met this case. Yeah. We have we close the episode on another local man named Conrad, who is pulling weeds from his berry grove. A stranger walks up and. Uh, the last thing Conrad says is. Oh, I've never seen you before. Before the man raises a gun and we pan to the sky in silence. He opened up the door to heaven. It was real. <laughs> knock, knock. Open up that door. It's real. That's what I'm saying. So that takes us into episode nice, a peaceful home. Our cold open is the hotel manager and the old couple. He's offered them some Lincolnberry jam with their breakfast because we're in Ikea country, baby. It turns out the gentleman we just saw, Conrad, is the man who picks those berries after having bought up a lot of the hillside land that they grow on and prepares the jam, selling it around town to neighboring villages. He is a good friend of the hotel manager. They play chess. It was Conrad's idea, actually to keep a picture of him on hand to show to tourists, making the whole thing seem more quaint. He actually starts so holding like, it up. So over the top in uh -huh, terms of what yeah. it's going for. It's like comedic. Oh, oh I know. Yeah. It's and, like, yeah. just the fact that he's carrying around the fucking photograph. Like, if before that, it would be still a lot. But then it's just, hey, look at this motherfucker. Look how happy <laughs> I, he is. I love he, it. Ma this, he made your This jam. was Conrad's idea. That's why I keep it. <laughs> 
And we hard cut from this to Conrad, dead on the forest floor beside his berry bushes. Cue title card. On a hill outside of town, Lungay and Grimmer look over Ruinheim. The pair discuss stories of how the wrong push can lead to an isolated community destroying itself. Grimmer suspects that this is going to be Johan's move, wondering if they can, and wonders if they can stop it in time. Lungay, always a pessimist, says he's pretty sure it's already started. And in town, Vim is getting the crap kicked out of him again. And as the bullies make off with his cash from helping at the hotel, an unseen figure approaches, saying, Young man, do you hate those boys enough to kill them? The Hennig couple are looking for Conrad because clearly he must have said something to someone because everyone in town keeps looking at them. As you do when in a other knowing people are sense. nearby. But they're like smiling, right? And <laughs> I, I, lo- I love the whole bit where they're like, Oh, uh, why would they be smiling at us? And they're like, they rarely see us together. Because they've known you your whole life, dickhead. Also, like, apparently they don't go out of town together. And so it's cute to see them actually on, out of town, to, like on the town together. Yeah, that was my uh-huh. favorite line. <laughs> yeah. When your mama's uh, out on the town, she's on the town. Did you just do a your mama so fat joke about Ruinheim? <laughs> That's right. Apparently. <laughs> uh, so, Franca asks her husband, what exactly do you plan to do when you find him? And uh, he's like, I, I I, don't know. I guess we could just pay him off. And then she goes, but what if he starts asking for more money? What do we do then? And he just, he, he admits he doesn't have an answer. Uh, unfortunately, this is exactly the point where they stumble upon his body, and Franca immediately starts accusing Henning of shooting him, even though he was right there. <laughs> and this escalates into, like, look, I, these guns, I haven't even fired them once. And he uh, draws it to show her. And, and then, points it right at her also, while like having his idiot. finger on the trigger. Terrible yeah. trigger discipline. Clearly a guy who's never touched a gun before. We keep hard cutting away from these shots, which is something I want to point out that's hard to convey in notes. There's a lot of question marks throughout these scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, in town, Ludwig refuses to stop barking, and somebody is getting fed up with that damnable dog. We have Grimmer walking by the butcher shop again, and he finds the daughter in high spirits. He finally showed up! the man who's gonna take me away from here Uh, technically not wrong (laughs) i don't know if he's the one who took her away in the end he essentially did (laughs) yeah also Uh, that one when it happened (laughs) it's incredible that why 20 minutes she became one of my least favorite characters of the show by being so annoying I mean, yeah, she she was being annoying. I'm that be being said, Matt, I... it's an anime character. Her life has no value because she's not real. I uh... agree with Chris, but only because if it weren't for what's happening in the shot, her final fate would definitely be one of my choices for episode art. But like, that is way too real. No, yeah, no, no. It's just so beautifully drawn. From violence against women, that's good content. <laughs> Hey, the arc <laughs> going through her neck. Beautiful. Anyhow, uh, 
we now see, for the first time, we've only heard his voice, Herbert the Drunk, walking through town, probably with the DTs, looking for his next fix. He runs into the tourist couple, and he tries to cross the street, just being like, judging me. But the old man calls out to him, hey, he's standing out of his wheelchair with a pistol in his hand going, isn't this what you're looking for? Your son already has his. And we zoom out, hearing the dog barking again, and then a clear gunshot. Loongate immediately puts two and two together. Hooray! It's quiet now! Uh, <laughs> for now. <laughs> and we cut to Prague, and then that dipshit fail son Lipsky is back. Uh, and he's actually getting some crowds with the Nina puppet, proving that just like his dad, he's a hack without the twins to lean on, and also... He's not getting paid. His fucking hat is still empty. Ha! Uh, yeah, you, you don't see uh, anybody, like, they all walk away. That was great, but you don't see anybody uh, actually put money in that. Nope. You can see in it, and there's, like, a quarter. It's very funny. Look, that's still better than he was doing. Mm, he's getting paid in exposure. My man up 200% this month with that quarter. <laughs> uh, But guess what? Fucking Kenzo Tenma is back after the show. He's here and just says, hey, you're Franz Bungparta's son, right? Where's your dad? This is a race against time and there are lives at stake. And the puppeteer stays quiet until Tenma says, oh, this new puppet's based on Nina, isn't it? And Tenma says, that's who sent me here. And then we cut back in time. I, I can't fucking believe we went back to Prague again. Again. We had to explain how some of these characters got there. The fourth time. <laughs> Prague is a major city. I get that. And I get Europe is, you know, smaller than we think it, you know, the space is going from country to country. But like, Jesus fucking Christ, I can't you know believe we went back. to Less Prague. happens in Prague every time we're here than Labyrinthos. <laughs> True. We can't just pause the fucking story for 40 minutes of cutscenes. Why not? Yeah. That's what we're doing right now. That's what a flashback yeah. is. <laughs> it's still only five. Look, here's the thing, too, is that like this is where I find the timelines get so fuzzy again, because there needs to be enough time for Tenma leaving wherever he was, you know, the house before in the last episode, going back all the way to pro after bringing Nina back to the to the hospital and letting her recover enough to he could talk to her and then going back to the back to Prague and then all the way back to this while we're also watching things happen in Ruinheim in real time it just it gets real like I, I'm sure it, if you laid it out on a calendar it would line up fine enough it just feels really really loose when it comes Good to news. the timeline uh, stuff you weren't on that episode but Chris and I did say we're going to take an extra episode after the finale, and I'm just going to lay out the timeline and answer any questions you two have. Yeah, that makes that that's a good idea, because there's a lot of this that I'm like, how, did they just forget that like time oh. and space exists. Like, we have some homework to coordinate on, which is what subplots we would cut out to make Monster more manageable because it kind of collapses under its own weight. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll have some. I think we'll have some interesting meat with that final episode. You and I have some homework to do on that. We'll have to collaborate on that on like a Google document. Cool. All right. Uh, so turns out Nina survived her mental break in the ruins and 
everyone keeps forgetting that Tenma is a wanted fugitive because he just goes and visits her at the hospital as she recovers. And she says that she can handle hearing what's going on because she can tell Tenma is distracted by his thoughts. And he fills her in saying that he's got a loose profile on Bonaparte, but now the big question is where to find him. Their only lead is Lipsky, who she suspects is the son Bonaparte abandoned from based on Tenma's description. And remember that Lunge figured this out, but Nina did not, even though she knows that he's got a connection to the Red Rose Mansion. Yeah, she uh, just he thinks shows, he's one of the students. Yeah. He shows her a photo of the first reading session group where Lipsky was kicked out for being an unexceptional student. Fail son. Fail yep. son. Uh, so she urges the doctor the, to hurry because she knows something terrible is coming. She knows what Johan's aim is. The perfect suicide. True solitude. The only expression of love. If we don't hurry, innocent people will die. Back to Prague. Tenma puts forward the case that Bonaparte slipped up in all of his works. All of the names in the books were Germanic, but only one pen name was, Klaus Pope. He suspects that was Franz's real identity. And Lipsky says that's what the detective said, too. Although he didn't really intuit it so much as he just became my father. It was weird. <laughs> I am Klaus Pope. I have no home to return to. To regain the peace inside of me, I shall return to my fatherland. Lipsky doesn't know where that place was. It, his dad was pretty distant. and He already gave Lunge his only clue, a single postcard with a sketch of a tree from a hilltop. Hey, we saw that. But it was signed K.P. Tenma, however, thinks he can put together a few areas from the description that Lipsky gave and prepares to leave. The fail son asks, will my father be killed? And Tenma says, I don't know, but if so, he won't be the only one. The puppeteer makes the doctor promise that Nina's story will have a happy ending. And as he's leaving, we flash back to the hospital one more time. Nina says Johan is trying to recreate the massacre at the Red Rose Mansion, the same as the massacre at Kinderheim, the same as, you know, the chaos and the collapse of the neo-Nazis. His death drive keeps roaring to the surface, and he keeps living. This is completely unrelated, because, like, the Red Rose Mansion is a po mass poisoning, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and do we know, are we to assume that Johan did it? I think we're to assume I that think... Franz Bonaparte did it. It doesn't uh, seem that way because he looks like Franz Bonaparte was about to drink it and then decides not to when people are starting to react. I will I will straight up tell you we are going to find out next episode. It is Franz. Okay. But Interesting. I will also point out Johan is going on fragmented memories and things that he heard his sister say that he internalized. He yeah. might have warped this story in his head. Hey. Okay. I did not complain about it enough, but I really hate that twist. It really sucks. I get it. It's not my favorite, but it plays oh. into a oh. couple things in the climax that, that I'm okay with. That basically almost nothing happened to Johan other than just having a bad childhood. 
Yeah, I I agree with that. Like that was something I did notice when I was catching up that like, wait, he wasn't traumatized no. No. by by this whole plot. He was just a bad egg who okay. wanted to murder. Oh no, people. he read too many goosebumps. Uh-huh. <laughs> they do a little more with it. We'll get there next week. There's some stuff they where better. I've been There's telling... four episodes left. Three. Mm-hmm. Three. No, is that true? Three yeah, left, yeah. only 74 episode show. I guess I just forgot to drag the last one to the corner. <laughs> yeah. No, um, there's there's a few things I've been harping on as we go. I'll tie all the threads together next week. You explicitly told me at one point, you're going to need to tell me when this is done because I'm going to forget. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it seems weird, too, that, like, oh, like, he was capable of murdering adults as an eight-year-old like in silently at that and yet where did that come from what i said a gun is a hell of a thing right it wasn't a gun though it it must have been a knife because you don't hear gunshots in the field like people are easy and your sister would have found it they don't see it coming so once you get them once they're probably uh pretty easy to get Mm -hmm. yeah shock kicks in when a child stabs you i would imagine but yeah and also just you know him being the it makes the whole Kinderheim thing, the Kinderheim massacre, feel like where did that come from? I guess he's trying to replicate the story he was told about, but it feels kind of weird that he's already this mastermind and he wasn't even trained to be that. Well, I'm pretty sure he was actually at Kinderheim, right? He was. No, he was there. He was there. Yeah, he yeah. was the one at Kinderheim, not. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I'm not saying that that was a memory. Town style thing, which is what happened. Yeah. My dude just really loves the fucking werewolf game. <laughs> so as Tenma leaves Lipsky's house, rain begins pouring down across the German countryside. The puppeteer can only remark, it's started. In Runeheim, the weather is the same. Uh, Herbert is still in a bad state, but realizes guns can be used to procure goods and services. <laughs> <laughs> The Hennicks are even more tense, having not reported Conrad's death because they really want to get made for this murder, but uh, turning on each other and blaming each other for their misfortunes, which is how you can tell they're married. Uh, Grimmer is Mm. waiting at the train station in case of new arrivals, (laughs) but an attendant tells him nobody will be there as a river has flooded, blocking the nearby tracks. Oh, we're an isolated island. The worst possible scenario. So meanwhile, or meanwhile, question mark. Uh, yeah, Tenma is vis- yeah. Uh, Tenma is visiting another rare book dealer, but this guy has a piece of the puzzle no one else did. Sure, he knows about Pape's pen names, but he says that he's been in the game so long that he can just tell the guy's work when it comes up, and thus he draws another volume from the shelves. Tenma is handed a book labeled Das Ruinheim, uh, which it, we translate. Which translates to a restful home, as we. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, he re is this a is is he reading it or is this a summation? This is a summation. We okay, don't get okay. any text from this book. It's just the collectors. Okay. Okay. Bro, the art looks like fucking Windows ninety five, like Microsoft Word clip art. The art looks like, and this is a deep pull. The fabulous furry freak brothers, especially Ooh. the bearded guy. The what? Mm, I'm not going to look that okay. up. I already looked up human skin on eBay today. 
I can't believe neither of my co-hosts know a bunch of 60s counterculture art. Yeah, mostly I, I'm in for the counterculture music, not the visual art. You look at that guy on the left, that is straight up what that yeah. character yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is what that is. Yep. Interesting. You know what's super weird, just while we're on this digression? How the fuck did this 60s alt-comic get adapted into a 2021 animated series on fucking Tubi? It did? Yes. There's what? a real, like, this just happened last year. I was shocked as hell. But yeah, one sec. That's real. Huh. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Who asked for this? I have not been able to bring myself to watch it because I'm deathly afraid that I'm going to be like, oh. Like, man, who, who even remembers this shit, let alone, like, license it? I'm right here. The kind of person <laughs> who thinks that Tubi is a good idea. I've oh, been wait. watching a lot of old shows on Tubi. I confused this with the other one that was like vertical only format. Quibi. You're thinking Quibi. Oh, this yeah, is just Quibi the one, sucks ass. This is the one just for boomers like my podcast co-host. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so this book dealer summarizes the book like as uh, a thief sneaks into a quiet village planning to rob the inhabitants. But as he interacts with them, he forgets how to steal, and eventually he lives a quiet life working with the townsfolk. And he says that the, the malice like, that you usually find in this author's work is gone in this, which is great because it's not creepy, but the art is way worse. Uh, however, you could, I could still tell that it is the same person uh, based on the art alone. No one's impressed, Dork. And finally, back in Ruinheim, all five members of the police are beginning to find themselves on edge as well. There are now multiple shootings. Conrad is still missing. Another guy was just shot leaving the pub and his condition is critical. Someone suggests this must be the work of outsiders. The town was so peaceful their whole lives. But every one of them pales at the suggestion of locking up the visitors. A pair head out on patrol, and the others nod him on solemnly. Within minutes, this man will also be shot. Lunge is hearing more and more gunfire, and he is starting to put together a theory as he tests the phone lines and finds that the rain has taken them out. If our assailants can't get into town, but nobody has arrived since we did, they were already here. And he's just looking over at that couple. If I can find the meme of the smiling star and a bunch of party popper emojis that says officer down, that can be our episode art. <laughs> I will paste it over one of the many scenes of cops getting shot. How's that? <laughs> Just use it like a Facebook frame. That's right. Uh, and that takes us into episode 70, The Town Massacre, where we start with uh, another scene of Vin getting owned. Uh, this time, he as he lays on the ground, the boys are running off, and he says, Oh, I have a gun. Guns can be used for revenge and or justice. And uh, speaking of his father, Herbert enters the town pub, where they immediately tell him to fuck off. You can't pay your tab, and I'm not going to take the... We don't have any alcohol you could buy with money you steal from your son. Uh, he sits outside, 
He hears the entire pub call him like a coward and a lush, but he just stumbles away. So there's an implication here that they never confirm or deny. Did you pick up on it? No. Where would Herbert have gotten money since we know that his kid has been robbed repeatedly by the bullies? In the last episode, Mm. someone has been shot leaving the pub. That mm. is very baffling to me because everybody inside would know about it. I just wonder if the question mark is, did Herbert in his state shoot a guy for cash? It's the only way this adds Uh, up to me, but they never confirm or deny. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. That seems more like like he just found a guy that was shot dead. Also possible, there are quite a few bodies in the streets at this point. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I would much more believe that he yeah he stole it off of uh some corpse that he ran into at the stage. Not stealing if they're dead. That's true. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's looting. Excuse me. I'm glad we uh, all agree that stealing cultural artifacts is okay. Looting cultural artifacts is not though. Matt has a point. Is that Chronicles of Riddick rules where if you kill the if you kill the foreign civilization you keep what you kill? <laughs> you get to take all their artifacts. Um, yes, definitely. Which <laughs> does track now that we know that Vin Diesel is a giant D&D nerd. Mm-hmm. God, that movie is so good. Oh, is it, is it my I'll give it to you. I've soured on it a is little. It's pretty good. It's no pitch black, but it's pretty good. I haven't seen the new one, and I kind of want it. It's not good. That's the one that made me kind of reconsider Chronicles. Has has a Vin Diesel killing a guy with a teacup and then saying "death by teacup" very seriously. It's very funny. It, that is one of the better scenes in the movie. I only I've only seen Chronicles of Riddick, and oh, you uh, see Pitch I Black. liked it. Yeah, Pitch Black. I, people is tell very me that. Good. Yeah, I'll I'll watch it eventually. Uh, but yeah, D- didn't like that one major creep dude who thankfully gets killed before you know doing terrible things to one of the other characters. That's not his real name, Chris. Are you telling me that Vin Diesel's name is not Vin Diesel? I'm pretty sure that's a that's a stage name. I don't know if that's true. Ben. He was born Mark Sinclair in Alameda County. Oh my god. Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay. His, his name's Everything not Vin Diesel. clicks. What if it was? It could be an American McGee, it's fine. I mean look, he may have legally changed his name. I don't know. No, he is only listed as known professionally as, so he's still legally Mark Sinclair, it seems. That's, yeah. I'm sorry, wait, what? You know what's definitely a thing that you don't want to see on someone's Wikipedia page? The sentence, anti-miscigenation laws. Oh, no. Sorry, that one threw me for a loop. Anyway. Uh, Two patrolmen are in the hills looking for Conrad. One is griping to himself about the weather because it's raining like hell and that it's making it impossible to comb the area. And then as soon as he says this, he stumbles across Conrad's corpse. And as he goes to call his partner over, there's no response. And backtracking, he discovers the man 
dead on the ground, and this sends him fleeing to the squad car. He tries radioing the station for assistance, but nobody seems to be answering, and his screams make him an easy target for the gunman, who then, from off screen, uh, shoots the guy in the leg, and he falls to the ground whimpering. A familiar figure enters, and even though we don't see him in full, if you if you can recognize his voice, which I didn't actually, you'll gotcha. know who he is. But he leans down over the cop, saying, "You seem surprised. I think I'd better take your gun so you don't hurt anybody." And if you know it, if you could tell the voice, this is Roberto. He's back. Can you two not pick up on Roberto's voice actor? No. I can never now. Really? Okay. I thought he has one of the most distinct performances in the show. Buddy, we watch this once every other week. And Roberto has yeah. been gone for two months. Roberto also sounds like a Rico Suave savvy. I don't kind know who that is. Every time. <laughs> of course he doesn't know who Rico Suave is. <laughs> look, look. That was the Sybil. 90s, asshole. Sybil. Hey, check this out. In the 90s, I was 1 to 10. <sighs> the only reason, Sybil, the only reason why I know Rico Suave at all is because I watched way too much I Love the 90s on VH1 back in high school. So I think you're on the wrong side on this one. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> I did not know this, but I, I was. Buddy, I was born in 1989. I was born in 88. <laughs> we were too young. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah, you, you thought... Was that an explosion? I heard a very loud boom coming from your microphone, Sybil. God. <laughs> All right. What People also ask, what does it mean when someone calls you Rico Suave? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, hold on. We got, we, got, we got to pull up the music video and put it in recording text. No. So, Herbert is haunted in the street by the taunts from the pub, and he realizes he still has a weapon, and decides in the heat of the moment, he's gonna show them all. He returns to the bar, bursts in, gun raised, and just screams. Everyone is already corpses. How? How did he not notice this? He wasn't well, that far away. He, he might have got as far as halfway home. Like, look, Matt, this is definitely some machine haven't gun you, work. Those, haven't you seen Shaun of the Dead? Very, very thick doors, noise canceling. Okay, true. okay, okay, I'm convinced. Yeah, we did call this a pub, not a bar. That's true. Grimmer is now marching through town, and there are just bodies lying in the streets at this point. He rounds a corner and sees someone alive. But it's Vim, weapon in hand, standing over three familiar tiny corpses. Let's go. And he comes up behind the kid who is in shock and tries to determine what happened. Vim is unsure. Grimmer carefully disarms. He's like, hey, hey, just let me let me have this. And he sniffs the gun. And then he confirms his suspicion by pulling the clip. It has not been fired. Vim did not do He only this. pulls it halfway. Fuck off. Yeah, he doesn't it's, pull it all the way, but But still. the bullets I mean, it's like are still... You, actually, you would you would know from the bottom. Oh, that's bottom, true, yeah. Actually. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, knows yeah, that yeah. nothing has been fired. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a full clip, yeah. 
So he actually, he calms the kid. It is no, it is a magazine. I actually looked this up. Ooh, magazine is for a subautomatic. Typically flexible or worked by a spring for holding objects together. Thank you. Anyhow, he calms the kid down and starts trying to get answers, like, where did you get this gun, Vim? We returned to Hotel Verstek and the cop in the woods wasn't killed, merely hit in the leg, and he just crawled back to town. Uh, Lugay is nearby to hear a story of a huge outsider shooting him and taking his weapon. Pretty fat phobic of him, to be honest. Uh, before anyone could do anything else, Grimmer enters with a furious, how many guns have you given out? Because this boy has one as well. Uh, the hotel manager is horrified, and Grimmer just reassures the man that Vim didn't fire. You encouraged him and taught him right, and he took your lessons to heart. Uh, turns out lots of children have taken his lessons to heart. Uh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Grimmer then quarters the old man in the wheelchair against the wall and repeats himself, saying, How many weapons have you and your friends given out? Do not make me angrier, he says, slamming the guy down. At this point, they begin talking, saying, he he looked just like our grandson, their deceased grandson. This figure resembled him to a T and acted like he knew them. It was like he had come back into their lives. Lungay puts it together that the postcards weren't said to the, weren't sent to this dead boy, but were messages to the grandson. And suddenly, across the room, the hotel manager speaks up. They've probably all come here looking for me. And Grimmer says, that's right, Mr. Pope. And Lungay adds, or do, we, or do we mean Franz Bonaparte? This sucks. The too. old man. They don't, mm-hmm. Why do you say mm-hmm. that? Because I know they're going for, it's very disappointing that even monsters get old and become feeble. But they don't pull that off very well, I don't think. Well, I think... The thing that makes this unsatisfying is that he is feeble, but he's also done a face turn. I don't. And. Well, all of a sudden, he seems like he's very apologetic about the things he's done and all the effects it's had. Not enough to, like, actually, like. That's called being. Yeah, I don't. Feeling guilty. Not. Yeah, I think it's guilt. I don't think it's apologetic. Because you remember, in a few minutes' time, he's going to hear some of Grimmer talk about what happened to him, and he just starts clinically going, Ah, yes, we had subjects like you. Good job. Yeah, yeah, like, good thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you you managed to not kill yourself. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I think even General Wolf was a better uh, deployment of this trope. We're not. entirely done with Pope's story. He's got some more in the next episodes, but I mean there has to be because it just feels like I mean they they've already signaled that he's had some kind of change of heart of some kind because that's when his art started to suck, right? And now he's just trying to live this quiet life in this little town and now he's showing some kind, yeah, remorse, guilt, whatever um about the stuff he's done to all of these children and all of the effects it's had. But, you know, I just, where did that come from? How did that happen? (laughs) It's not, he's not the only one. Remember the director in Prague. 
he also started trying to do the experiment right. He was trying to raise mm-hmm. the boys in a healthy way. He was away from all of this, and over time it sunk in that, Jesus Christ, I've made monsters. Mm-hmm. The difference yeah, I is... I guess it's happened multiple times, yeah. The difference is the other guy went into hiding, but he was like, I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to undo this damage to the world. And Pope By went into seclusion. Yeah, went into seclusion, <laughs> figured right he now. was going to use <laughs> this place as another round, and instead found himself kind of charmed by living in Twin Peaks. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what the book's about that he drew. Yeah, that's that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very one to one. So the, it better it better pay off in the next couple episodes. Because I'm not a not a fan of this. I, I don't know that I'll I say it sticks the right now. I get it. Remember how I've been saying that I felt a little rough about the ending from my first read and I hadn't finished this at the time because I didn't want to color anything. I'm starting to remember why I was a little salty about this when the manga finished. Yeah, we're just kind of mm-hmm. like farting out to the conclusion right now. And the weirdest part at spoilers that we don't even see Johan. <laughs> he doesn't show up yet in the in these stretch of episodes right He's at in- the end game. Three seconds. Okay, maybe. Oh, trying to remember. Standing in the dark room where we can't identify it. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. He is in town. Because remember, he does want to die. The boys Mm -hmm. are back in town. Not yet. We're getting there. They're all coming. Oh, no. (laughs) (sighs) Things I can't say. (laughs) Kamala voice, don't come. Uh, someone showed me how incredibly poor the Google Translate phone app is by taking a screenshot of FF5 and its X-Death taunting butts. And what it translates as is, Exedu, don't come, written how you think. That's right, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my man does not, by nut I mean grow into a tree. Well, yeah. look, he's called X-Death, and coming is the little death. He's he's above it. He's past it. Anyhow, we're going to cut to <laughs> Munich again. Uh, Ava and Dieter are watching the news. She's taken up chain smoking to help her kick drinking. Finally, Dieter's just cool sitting here. <laughs> Dieter's just coughing and going, I think you should quit smoking, too. Just shut up, you little bitch. <laughs> but... Uh, Dieter has been drawing Tenma, and despite Ava being kind of catty, like, who the hell is that? It's, it's pretty clearly, it's pretty clearly the doctor. It's very funny. It's a good sketch. But both of them are worried about him, just kind of asking each other, do you, do you think he's going to come back? However, in another room, medical malpractice is happening because the two <laughs> psychiatrists and Nina are looking at a PC. Johan has sent her an email which simply reads, to Nina, I'll be waiting for you in Ruinheim. Johan. She looks it over and is like, yes, that's definitely my brother. He signs his name on things. We talked it over for two days. You can go, but no, you can't have a gun. 
<laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> What's this weird conservatorship? Keep in mind, she did just try to off herself in the ruins of an orphanage. Like, and her therapist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, that was where we saw her right before this episode, remember? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, um, Fine has done some research and discovered <laughs> Ruinheim as a city. <laughs> and, uh, all we see before the scene cuts is Nina's immediate, I need to go there, now. And then they said Dr. Jill Yellen, not even the well, guy no, that's, who was, that's like, later. In, that's, in the army. That's later. I know! It's just, I'm baffled by it. What, the Reichwein doesn't go? Yeah! That's the guy with, yeah. like, some, I don't know, like, pseudo-military training from, like, harassing immigrants. He's out of shape, though. I mean... He did body I, two he, fucking assailants. <laughs> yeah, but you have to run across town to save everybody here. Like, you saw how he was on the track. Okay, that's true. Imagining Dr. Reichwein running is impossible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back to the Hotel Verstek, and Lunge says it's surreal meeting the man face to face. To begin with, I thought you were just a fragment of a man's delusions, but now that I've put myself in this mind and chased them down, it's like you're a character from your picture books just walking off the page into real life. And Grimmer is less poetic to say, I looked at the names of refugees who resettled when the law fell. Uh, you were among them. It led me here in time. Who were you running from? Was it people like me? And the puppy looks very alarmed. Uh-huh. People who were your experiments forged at 511 Kinderheim, maybe? Then we cut across town to that second hotel, Bergbach, where the uh, butch's daughter is getting that sausage um, in a shared room, <laughs> saying everything's going to hell outside. We gotta go. And then uh, Roberto, toweling off, says we can't. The roads are flooded. The train's stalled. Time to get to it, and then just to fuck for a little while. And we find out that Roberto has been taking a shower and leaving the room every time, constantly. Yep. And and changing his clothes. And then I had to skip very quickly, because both my wife and child were in the room. <laughs> oh, you don't want to read the horrible thing I wrote? No, you can read it. Um, Yeah, he's, he's talking about how... Well, yeah, of course I have to shower. It smells of blood and gunpowder and moisture out there. Look, come on. I had them put on a pot of tea for you downstairs. We hard cut downstairs to the hotel owner in a pool of his own blood. And what follows is yet another Pornhub special, POV, railed by Roberto 4. Very upsetting. <laughs> it is incredibly unpleasant. <laughs> it was... <sighs> as gross as that lady. I don't remember. That it, lady? Uh, it was Reese. Ava? No. It was, um, what's his name's friend? What's his name's friend? I have no idea what you're talking about. I have about. no okay. clue. What was the guy with Martin? Martin and that lady and the drug dealer. Martin, the lady in the dress. Oh, dealer. his his ex-lover. Yes, yeah. got it. Oh, that. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. With those conditions, I can tell what you're talking about. Mm, mm. So, back in Munich, the two doctors say they're going to help Nina to... They'll help Nina get to Ruinheim. Very helpful. Under two conditions. Uh, yeah, very smart. Uh, yeah, so we mentioned before... Uh, 
Gian is going with her and they can't have did I say Gian? Gillen yeah, is Gian. going with her and she can't have a gun. And her response is simply, I won't need one. She urges everyone remaining in that house, as well as Shuvald, Carl, and Latte, to go into hiding immediately because Johan's trying to burn himself out of existence completely, and they're known loose ends. Big mood. Mm. Uh, Reichwein escorts her outside, and she thinks on how she doesn't want to forget any of them, and she's like muttering their names to herself. And no matter how many of the other things in her life she would love to forget, she wants to really hold on to this one. And this is underlined by Gillen, who says, and your memories of your brother? And she's like, I won't let them be forgotten. A first-person scene is the hard cut from here, running through brush with panting. We will eventually come to find this is Tenma, booking it on foot through God knows how he got here. The roads are out and trains can't make it. But he's outside of Ruinheim, damn it. He stumbles on the first cop's body, finding it clean of weapons, and another man stumbles over the hill, with Tenma drawing on him out of instinct. The other man collapses, though, and this is where his doctor instincts take over. He runs over, immediately sees the guy is too far gone, and he's delirious from the rain and a gunshot, mind jumping from topic to topic. Save the town, get help, save the children. They came with guns, save everyone, and he's gone. Tenma gets some murder face on as we cut away. In the Hotel Verstek, the parlor scene continues. Lungay says he still wants to see Tenma because he's the only real person here. Johan is still nothing but a fantasy in his mind. Uh, before we get really bored at this, he begins to pull on that string saying, what does a real person have to do to become imaginary? I imagine you'd need to erase everyone who ever knew about you, like the end of your picture book. Grimmer says he'd do the same in Johan's position. He'll probably disappear in the same way someday, because Neumeyer isn't him. Wolfgang Grimmer isn't him. Someday, the man who took his name will die and take it with him, and that will be the end of the trail. Uh, Poppy finally speaks, saying he's been waiting for this. He knew eventually someone would find him, show up to end him, and he is ready. And then Gur is extremely mad, saying, you've been waiting to die? Oh no, I'm going to make sure you're paraded around for the world to see. Everyone will find out about everything you did. I will devote my life to making sure you survive this. F's in the chat. Meanwhile, yeah. Lugay is still <laughs> focused on the old couple. Tell me where is Johan now? I don't know. He, uh, and then Lugay just fucking cocks his gun at them and says, just fucking tell me I don't want to play around anymore. Meanwhile, Tenma is wandering the streets with gunshots going off left and right. He sees a figure flee indoors and follows them carefully and visibly disarming himself as he enters the building. And it's a woman. How will he open the door? <laughs> uh, it's a woman and a variety of children. And he says that he's a friend and he's going to get them out of town so they can survive. Back of the hotel, the couple are trying to appease Lunge, saying that while they don't know where Johan is, they do know there's a leader in town at the Hotel Bergbach. And Lunge's response is simply, hmm, going to need more firepower than just my pistol. Which is perfect, because at this point, the Hennicks arrive and confess th themselves, saying they won the lottery, and this is all their fault, because they're still only thinking about themselves. And 
Oh, Lunge isn't really interested. Uh-huh. And Lunge isn't really interested in any of that other than uh, saying, hey, uh, let me see those guns. He means the, the guns, not his arms. The, mm-hmm. the actual, you know, you know the, the rifle and stuff. I'm going to give you a pass because of my disarming joke, but you're on thin ice. <laughs> <laughs> so the plan is now set. Lunge is going to take his gun, one of the other handguns, and the rifle, and head for the Bergbach, while Grimmer will keep the remaining weapons and mount a defense at the Hotel Verstek. Grimmer's like, you sure about this? Everyone you see about there is packing. And Lunge's like, I'm a detective. I can tell the difference between threats. Lunge then says when this is over, he would love to buy Grimmer a beer. Grimmer says he would find that a pleasure. Um. The fan subs entirely reverse this with Grimmer shaking him down for a fucking drink. The manga agrees with the dub, so two out of three wins. The last thing we see is Tenma standing guard at a crossroads, screaming for the innocents to keep going. You have to survive! That takes us into episode 71 with a Wrath of the Magnificent Steiner, the last episode of this week. Grimmer is tying the old couple to some chairs in the back room, saying, I hate doing this to the elderly, is what the fan subs say. <laughs> but I'll feel a lot safer knowing you can't interfere when I've got trouble in front of me already. Uh, the Hennicks have made a barricade out of furniture. Uh, it's not going to keep people out if they want to get in, but it's better than nothing. And with the weapons they have on hand, Vim, Poppy, and the elderly couple will stay upstairs, locked inside a back room, away from the combat. Vim is incredibly nervous for Grimmer, but Grimmer just gives him a smile and says, Don't worry. Whenever I'm in trouble, I've got a man who comes to my side. The Magnificent Steiner. I'm just I'm just going to rant for a second. This fucking fan subgroup changed font 71 episodes into a 74-episode series solely to troll me. I love that. <laughs> so mad as I realized, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. So, on the edge of town, Tenma has gotten the uh, group of innocents, along with a few others who have tagged along, out to safety, telling them to follow the road north away from this crazy place. And he asks the man before they split, uh, do you know a Franz Bonaparte or maybe a Klaus Pape? And he's shocked to find out that the man goes, oh, Pape? He runs the Hotel Verstek. In the streets... Lunge comes upon the butcher's daughter, Elsa. Uh, She ran away from Roberto. It's still in her bathrobe. Uh, After overhearing him give orders to coordinate the murders. Uh, So Lunge tells her there are survivors holed up at the Hotel Verstock and asks if she can make it there. And she's completely panicking. And before anything could go further, Tenma and Lunge spot each other on the street. Lunge instantly changes his demeanor. Ah, Dr. Tenma, with this, my journey into fantasy is complete. My vacation is over. I'm now an an officer of the law. This young woman needs to get to the Hotel Verstek. Make sure she gets there and you'll find what you're looking for. A certain picture book author. Tenma's baffled, saying, but Bonaparte, wait, how did you? And he said, I told you, I am on duty. Now go. Uh, Lunge pauses, and without turning around, he says, uh, Dr. Tenma, I'm sorry. And the thin man walks down a side street, rifle in hand. Really striking shot as he goes under this arch. It's great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Okay, yeah, I think I've here. convinced myself this is this is going to be the episode art. So, Nina and Gillen are driving here. Uh, you'd think this would be some kind of initial D shit sliding around in all this heavy rain, but no, just driving on a road. Nina's having migraines, recalling her most painful memory. All she can say is that if Johan is trying to bring it to life... And this is where we get our brief shot of Johan, somewhere in the dark in an unknown building. At the Hotel Bergbach, Lunge enters carefully. He's checking corners, moving as safe as he can. My man is rainbow sixing it. But he hears a noise. There's a guy cowering behind a chair in the lobby. And he stands up. He's like, hey, don't shoot. Come on. But the instant he raises an arm with a gun in it, blammo. Lunge practically blows the guy's arm off with a rifle shot. It is a great sound, by the way. Oh, yeah. They they chose new sound effects for this rifle. It's not the same pistols we've been hearing all Yeah, series. it's like... To, to clarify the way it sounds, it sounds a lot like a Left 4 Dead Hunter would be doing. And that's what it is. Yeah. The guy is... Half of his body is basically useless, but he rolls over and starts trying to reach for the gun. Lunge just kicks him back over onto his back and shoves the barrel in the man's mouth. Where's Roberto? I'm not asking again. Me with a gun in my the guy sim- I'm not owned. I'm not owned. <laughs> <laughs> um, the man simply points up to the ceiling. Uh, in the streets... Elsie is having a breakdown, and she's refusing to leave the overhang. She and Tenma are under. The hotel Ber- and at the Hotel Bergbach, Lunge is on the fourth floor now, where a door is cracked and the sound of a shower is running inside. On the streets, there's a horrible cry, and Tenma urges Elsie to stay silent as he checks it out. And he sees a man carrying an infant in one arm, trying to wake his clearly dead wife. And Tenma just tells him, it's too late for her, but I can get you and your child to safety. And the man's response is simply, you want to help me? Then give me your gun so I can kill the bastard who did this. Before he could do something rash, Tenma just asks if his wife would want to be avenged or if she'd want her husband and child to live through this. He talks the man into following him to the road out of town. Elsa refuses to come because she won't leave. Tenma just says, just wait where you are and I'll come back for you, I guess. Have fun in the war zone. <laughs> you know, if you can save two lives rather than three. Mm. Or zero. So Grimmer and Henning are downstairs in the Hotel Verstek where nobody has come to make a move yet. And Henning asks, so none of this is because of the lottery winnings? And Grimmer's like, I'm afraid not. The man finds us a giant relief and decides this is the perfect time to leave his station and inform his wife about how sorry he is. And as soon as he takes a first step, uh, and he yelled, hey, honey, and is immediately shot through the window in the uh in the shoulder in case you aren't paying enough attention or you're not media literate the lesson to take away from here is never apologize to your wife exactly (laughs) that is exactly it anyway after that uh you get 50 or so shots that are coming through the window it's clearly uh some machine gun fire uh grimmer goes to heading and 
uh, amazingly is able to grab him and drag him up the stairs, uh, avoiding all of the gunfire. He doesn't drag him up the stairs. He drags him out of the view of the window. Uh, okay, out of the view of the window. And, well, he still made it. Oh, right, because he goes up to get them to come down. Anyway. Yeah, Grimmer goes up alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He finds that the same crew have already just been unloading through the windows on the second floor. And uh, they find that the old couple is entirely shot up. And Franca is also wounded with a shot in her shoulder. And uh, luckily, Pape and Vim uh, got behind some furniture and were able to avoid uh, taking any shots. Shout out to the, the old man's mattress. <laughs> <laughs> That's some dense foam. It sure is. Uh-huh. Watch me show you just how well you can sleep. Fires a machine gun into the bed while partner sleeps beside them. <laughs> Didn't move at all. Offer code massacre <laughs> for 10% off. <laughs> Uh, Casper Mattresses, not an official sponsor of this podcast network. I have two. They're nice. Cool. Uh, the old man says that the gunfire is all coming from a building across the street. So after a quick check, the survivors, wounded or not, move into a cellar beneath the kitchen. Because why did we not do this sooner? This is probably an easier point to defend. Yeah, seriously. But, yeah, whatever. Uh <laughs> The Hennicks are worried about one another, but Vim kills the mood by going, My dad did this. He didn't get his alcohol, and now this is happening. <laughs> and, Grim and Grimmer's just like, Come on, your dad cannot be this bad. And the kid's like, Nah, this is basically just like the way he hits me, but it's the whole town. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> How did this not come up sooner? Uh, Pope is just quietly murmuring, it could all be over right now if I just walk outside. Grimmer lifts him by his collar and just goes, I'm not telling you again. You don't get to die today, old man. I'll tie you down here myself if I have to. I've done it once today. As he promises the boy that the magnificent Steiner is going to save the day, Pope starts speaking again. Ah, oh, I saw this a few times in the experiments. Children under terrible strain and stress would manifest a different personality. They were usually violent in nature. Most ended in suicide. I'm surprised you've lasted this long. Grimmer just gives him this horrendous stink eye and refuses to say anything, walking outside. In the fan subs it says, congratulations for living this long. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Omedita. <laughs> <laughs> We heard it in uh, Ava once, so that must be a word that they say all the time in Japanese. <laughs> On the streets. He makes a passionate speech to uh, just the building across the street, I guess. A big, you have a choice, nobody wants this, blah, 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 big jerk-off motion. You heard it before. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody shoots him up while he's sitting there, vulnerable in the street. So it seems like it might have worked until Halsey comes down the street and goes, I'm sure to glad to see you again, Miss... And then... <laughs> Uh, she gets got right through the deck, just blood comes out the exit wound, and everything goes silent as she falls, and we pull back from her body through Grimmer's pupil to television static. And every day, I watch the Magnificent Steiner, my face practically up against the tube. I never got to see the final episode, though, because I'm one episode away from retiring right now. 
And <laughs> you see a guard's arm pulling a child away from the television under protest, and the rest of the scene is just focused on the black TV. I wonder, did that young man ever realize he became the magnificent Steiner when he was upset? Did he get to live happily ever after? Suddenly, we snap back to reality, where the noises of abuse in the flashback have become gunshots in the road. Bullets begin flying around, and eventually, bullets do go through Grimmer, uh, who has picked up Elsie's corpses during his uh, fugue state. He looks up and just snarls, his eyes going white. Great, great animation on his face here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This whole thing is so fluid. It's like, we have had so little action we've mostly been showing like two second bursts or conversation so this whole sequence is so fluid it's like when caesar fights the pillar man (laughs) yes exactly like that anyway (laughs) i'm just saying so the only other thing i am the other anime death i could think of that was so over the top Really, the only other one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dude, there's about to be a very over-the-top anime death ten seconds from now. I'm talking uh-huh. about, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Grimmers. Uh, I mean the guy out the window. Oh, whatever. That guy wasn't very over-the-top. I'm talking about over-the-top. <laughs> well, no, well I mean, he's not... The show pours onto that character. All right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that that other guy's death isn't over-the-top. He he landed on the on the ground floor. But yeah, anyway, you came, came through the fourth floor window, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Outside of town, the first party Tenma got out is following the path, and they meet up with Nina and Gillen. As the parties exchange info, Nina asks if they saw a Japanese fellow, and <laughs> by the way, the subs do say Oriental. An Oriental, oh, yeah, oriental Japanese, Japanese man. man. <laughs> the stupidest way you could phrase that. <laughs> so mad. So mad. <laughs> As opposed to those Western Japanese men. It's like, yeah. you, it's like when you get the Oriental ramen. This is the equivalent of saying <laughs> that fucking redheaded Irish guy. <laughs> ATM machine. That drunk uh, Irish guy? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and it turns out the man tells them, oh, yeah, he's the one who saved us. Said he was headed back to the uh, Hotel Verstack. Nina then just books it past them, promise be damned, and Gillen only stays long enough to give the man his car keys and tells him to get the most wounded children to a hospital. Uh, Tenma rounds a corner and finds himself underneath the Hotel Verstack. Suddenly, we hear a gunshot, and a man flies out a fourth-story window, screaming and flipping all the way down, and lands on the cobblestones. Uh, and we cut away before we see how gross that would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Temner runs into that building instead, heads up the stairs, and when he kicks the door open, he sees Mr. Grimmer? Just like... Crazy sauce? Have you seen that? I have, which is why you completely disarmed me as I was about to start reading. <laughs> don't settle for don't settle for a lower quality sad lady all like JoJo. Jesus. Um. 
So Grimmer is once again covered in blood and injuries, but this time it's not that of his victims. He's just exhausted, slumped over a chair. Steiner saved the day again. As a matter of fact, no. This time he didn't show up. I got angry. Killed four men with my bare hands. Not bad for a day's work, huh, Doc? Why are you saying this in a hey-kill voice? That was me trying to do Grimmer's sort of... Buddy, I'm so bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that I can't do a bunch of distinctive dude voices perfectly for a conversation anymore. I've been training for the opposite. <laughs> you can also tell me I'm fucking sucking at that, too. Go ahead, hit me. Oh, you would be God. very good at doing Klaus Poppy's voice on account of being a huge bitch right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh. Tenma tries to get in and treat his wounds, but Grimmer just shoes him off. And he's like, oh, yeah, got a, got a letter for you. Inspector Lungay found it at the Red Rose Mansion. <laughs> you, you should really go help him. He's assaulting the Hotel Bergbach on his own. I can't leave you like this. No, it's fine. Isn't that right, Pope? And behind the two men, Vim and Pope have wandered up, probably lured up by the sound of a dude dying acrobatically in the street. Hotemba still hasn't shot anybody, has he? Except for... Oh, I guess he shot Roberto. Roberto. He He has shot Roberto. Uh, twice, and still didn't kill him. Yep. Two shots? Yeah, he did two shots, because that's the whole part of that spread that I said I've always remembered. Mm Mm-hmm. Vim is immediately horrified, running to Grimmer's side. The tall man just says that they're going to have to take the boy on a picnic when the rain what's up, and he rubs his bloodied hand down his face. Tenma's just trying to be uh, very stoic about it, put on a good face for Vim, saying, yeah, uh uh-huh, I agree. And finally, Grimmer begins crying, tears pouring out of his eyes. It's not, I'm not crying because I can feel myself dying. It's because of my boy. I finally feel it. I'm sad that he died. Like, my emotions weren't gone. They were just hundreds of miles away, and now they've found their way back to me. And his last words are simply, I think the magnificent Steiner probably became a human again as his hand slips off the armrest. Then, uh, then begins sobbing and bawling, and Poppy collapses to his knees, simply muttering, What have I done? And Tenma is just standing there, very solemn. What have you done? You fucking know what you've done. (sighs) Asshole. (laughs) It's, again, this is a guy who expected, oh yeah, someone's going to find me, and then they're just going to end me, and that will be it. And this is the most cruel thing you could do to him. Uh, Show him what he did. (sighs) Show him every long-term effect. Refuse to cut him off and make him watch the ending. Like, how was he not aware that the effects were going to be this severe when he did it for so long? And he, he never saw any of the results? Like, well, remember, I mean, he kept transferring away. I guess that's true. And then people help, kept it going after he left. It, yeah. It, it did seem everyone like he, he was pretty lived, isolated, yeah. Everyone who lived was someone who realized, oh, this shit's fucked up and got out before... Anything went down every time. Mm-hmm. So with that done, uh, I think we discussed it as we were going on, but any more thoughts on those episodes? I'm almost free. Yeah, what? I mean, 
<laughs> it is kind of, I mean, you, Chris, you're probably going to call me uh, like media literate right now, but uh, The Apprentice, you is are. he out of the picture completely? Who? The Apprentice. Uh, the other the Devil's guy. Apprentice. Um, Christoph. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Christoph. Yeah, because for I what mean, it's worth, we do not have a final fate on him. It's up to you if he died or not. Because it didn't look like he he just had, got shot in the ear, right? Or I guess he no, he got too. He got he shot got in the permanently leg. Yeah. disfigured, and he got shot in the knee. And his dreams are over. He'll accomplish nothing and amount to nothing. He'll just be the fail son that he is. Yeah, the mm-hmm. whole organization has collapsed. Whether he lived or not, he's kind of fucked. Yeah. Still, still seems like he'd be a dangerous guy regardless, but whatever. Uh, like, cause I was wondering like, oh, is that really the end of him? It was kind of vague. Buddy, the first uh, time well, he got to do anything, he started destroying an organization built over like two generations. <laughs> well, I mean, and then he also, like, he also sent a, but he was able to, no, he was able to, to set up, um, all of those people to cover up his tracks with all those uh, unrelated no, murders. Johan right? was setting those up. Correct. That was Johan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Johan is the one keeping him under wraps. When Johan left town is when everything spiraled out of control. Gotcha. Gotcha. So he was just never. He never had it. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. He only exists to stand in for Johan as a public face because Johan does not want to be known because he wants to disappear mm-hmm. from the world at some point. Mm-hmm. So he's just there to physically cover for him like a dumb body double. And let's be yeah. real. Even if he survived that, even if the ambulance got there in time, he's probably a loose end who got finished off by one of Johan's goons. Yeah, it would be weird if, like, after spending all this time, you know, hand-rigging over whether or not Tenma's gonna kill some guy. Who cares? Or kill anybody. That he kills a guy and he dies off screen. <laughs> no, that's important, right? Like, that's part of his whole arc is just that I can't kill. The only person I can kill, I guess Roberto is an exception, is is Johan. And that's his whole fall from grace is going to be, I'm going to murder this kid. And he just murders a dude and nobody tells about it. It's just kind of funny. Um Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of good tension here, but there's definitely some bits here like the lottery couple just grinding my teeth every time they're on screen. They're uh, really like the, here to waste 15 minutes to explain how Lunge gets a rifle. Exactly. They, like, yeah, could, this could have been could, like, hey, talking about the Winchester. That's could have what been I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, I get it. They're. They're something that I could see handled better. But they come in so close to the, like, these would have to be characters that we're just randomly cutting to throughout the series. Just seeing this couple mm-hmm. every few episodes, mm-hmm. their squabbles, everything for this to land. Yeah, and as I is, think- they show up and in 15 minutes time, they're rich as fuck. And then they start collapsing. Well, and the thing is, like, there's such a like, I know you're supposed to be in this town long enough and know enough characters to see as it's falling apart, it's affecting the whole town, right? Yeah, but there are too because many if you characters were... in too little time, like the exactly. one time monster needed to waste a bunch of time on something and it didn't. Yeah, like there's just you don't get a sense of place here because everyone shows up and then shit pops off, Our and they had to like, like actually, condense a lot of stuff. Hurts. Let's get through this really fast. 
<laughs> or, yeah. or his publisher's like, no, seriously, can you end this, please? <laughs> we got to move on to the next series. <laughs> and there's just a black title called The Real Monsters, publishers who are in a hurry. <laughs> um, if you want to... So there is... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No! There's... Okay, so... Does he think this nothing is too to do... short? Nothing to do with the actual end of the manga. But, um... On that episode where I go over the timeline, I'm gonna have to discuss the sequel light novel, Another Monster, and... I guarantee you're going to scream and wail at that. You know, the fundamental <laughs> premise of Monster is that books are bad. <laughs> well, Picture good news. Another monster is bad. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. We'll be back in two weeks with the final episode, 72 through 74. Tomorrow will come, but not for some. See ya. Peace out, fuckers. <laughs>